Alistairs. I'm Alistair Lee Bitsoy. Today begins the first day of the final week of the 2022 Utah Legislature's General Session. This week, lawmakers will scramble past any proposed legislation in both the Utah House and Senate in order to send the bills to the governor. Then Governor Spencer Cox will have 20 days to decide what bills he does or does not want to turn into law. The legislature will have to come up with a two-thirds majority to override a veto from Governor Cox. One bill that Mike discussed this week is a proposal to let Utahns pay their taxes with cryptocurrency. Managing editor Grant Burningham has more. So with me now to talk about the crypto bill is Jordan Tusher. Jordan, thanks so much for talking to us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Give me the bird's eye view of what this bill would do. Okay, so we have three crypto bills or blockchain bills that we're considering right now. Um, two of them I'm sponsoring. So the, the first one is House Bill 335, and that one sets up a blockchain and digital innovation task force. And it really puts Utah on the map as being a leader in the blockchain and cryptocurrency space. The next bill that I think you were originally referencing is House Bill 456. And this bill, like you said, is, is pretty simple. Um, what it does, it says that uh, the tax commission needs to uh, contract with a service provider to allow people to pay their taxes using cryptocurrency. Why does Utah need to get into the crypto space and what does a Utah get out of being able to pay their taxes with crypto? Great question. I think it's, it's three main things. One is we want to signal to the rest of the country and world really that, that Utah is getting involved in this space, that we're a welcoming place for cryptocurrency. Um, secondly, we have a lot of consumers out there that are getting into a situation, and even businesses, where they can't use traditional banking in the same way that uh, other businesses do. So, for example, um, we have places that grow medicinal marijuana in the state. Well, because of federal law that prohibits the, the sale or, or growth of, of marijuana, they can't use federally chartered banks. So when they come and pay their income tax for their company, they come with suitcases of cash because that's the only way that they can pay it. So this would allow another avenue for them to be able to make those payments um, that, that is outside of the traditional banking ways to do that. And then third, I think this is an interesting test case where we can see how else can we extend this into other areas of, of the state? You know, Does it make sense to allow to pay your DMV fees or um, your local property taxes or, or things like that. Let's try to work out the kinks at a high level with just the income tax where we, we contract with a company that has the expertise to do this um, and then look at where else it makes sense to, to roll this out. So crypto and Bitcoin in particular are often touted as a replacement for the U.S. dollar or something that's going to replace the U.S. dollar. Do you see anything dangerous about a government accepting something which isn't official currency? Yeah, I, one thing I think that's important to, to note in the bill is that the bill actually calls for the immediate transfer of the Bitcoin into dollars. So the state's not actually holding any cryptocurrency, you know, because there's volatility dealing with cryptocurrencies. So there's no risk that the state's not going to get enough money to cover the tax benefit. Essentially, what they're saying is just like a credit card provider would, would allow. I think ensuring that the U.S. dollar stays an important asset across the world. I, I think a lot of the United States power comes from the value of the dollar and it being the, the number one traded asset needs to stay there. But I think the federal government's getting to the point where they understand 
that this isn't going away. And so we need to find a way where the dollar can stay stable and uh, you know, a means of securing freedom across the world, while at the same time, how do we deal with the blockchain that's going on? So I, I think Utah kind of saying, signaling again to say, hey, we're gonna start accepting this, kind of pushes on the feds a little bit to say, we need to get our act in gear and figure out what we're gonna do in the future. All right, Representative Jordan Tusher, thanks so much for talking to us. Yeah, thanks for having me. And Palat Basewell discusses her reporting on librarians being on the front line of book bans. So I think we've talked a lot about the kind of frontline battle of banned books in the past couple of months, in the past couple of years, but we only tend to talk to librarians during banned book week. So I really wanted to focus on the librarian perspective of this ongoing battle. And I didn't really, I think we've talked to, you know, parents groups and teachers, but we often look over librarians who are stewards of you know, books. So I talked to three different librarians. The first one was Wanda Mayhuffaker, who is an expert in banned books. She's been a librarian since 1993 um, in the Salt Lake County system. And I talked to her coworker, Catherine Kidd, who is a teen expert, teen book expert. And then I talked to Katie Wegner, who is in the Summit County library system. So what's the process of librarians being asked to ban a book or get rid of a book in their own libraries and towns? So funny enough, Utah does not have a big history of banned books. The process to actually ban a book is a little complicated. So someone can walk into a library and say, I don't like the content in this book. And they can talk to a librarian about that content. content. And then um, if the librarians aren't able to facilitate a conversation with these individuals and explain, okay, this is why this book has this content, then they're asked to fill out a reconsideration form. That form then goes to a larger group of librarians from all different branches in the county system and in different areas of expertise. And then they ultimately make a decision of, should we ban this book? Should we just move this book from the teen to the adult section um, or what the ultimate decision is? You can check out more of Palak's story at sltrip.com. President Joe Biden nominated Federal Appeals Court Judge Ketanji Jackson to the Supreme Court to fill retiring Justice Stephen Breyer's spot on the bench. Judge Jackson is the first Black female ever nominated to the court. Utah Senators Mike Lee and Mitt Romney both responded to the nomination on Friday. While Romney said he was looking forward to meeting Judge Jackson, Lee expressed some doubts about Biden's nominee. Lee is a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee that will vet Jackson for the nation's highest court. The senator said in a statement, and I quote, while Judge Jackson and I disagree on many points of the law, and I have grave concerns about the precedent she would set as a Supreme Court justice, fairness and objectivity will be the guiding principles of my evaluation. That's it for today. And if you haven't already, please subscribe and let your friends know about The Daily Buzz or on all your favorite podcast apps. Have a tip for the newsroom or want to reach out to the Daily Buzz? Send us an email at thedailybuzz at sltrib.com. I like to thank the Tribune's Shoal Cardenas for editing the Daily Buzz and local band Pelican for our music. Thanks for listening and have a good week. Hey, 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 h